Welcome to the Social Fishing Podcast. My name is Reese Creed. I'm a passionate angler and I want to share as much as I can about the sport we all love. On this podcast, we speak to incredible anglers, sharing a wealth of priceless knowledge, all to help you reach your fishing dreams. Thanks for joining us today. Now let's begin. Welcome everyone back to another episode of the Social Fishing Podcast. This is episode 44 and we have a very different topic and species on board for this episode. We're going to be talking about Australian bass. It's something we haven't touched on a whole heap of yet, so I'm really excited to share this episode with you. Now, I am joined by the one and only Simon Pender. Now, Simon is a rep for Pure Fishing. He's been in the fishing industry for a very long time, and it's a really good interview because we get his insights as a a rep, and we get to learn who he is, uh, because a lot of you might not know much about Simon. He's a really, really good bloke, loves his fishing, and he's a great family man. So, we get a little bit of an insight as to his background, why he loves fishing, and also the industry that he works in, which is the repping for pure fishing and basically he surrounds himself with new gear, understanding new gear and understanding how it works for our fish. Now, we also get in and talk about bass. Now, most of what we talk about is in relation to small streams and small waterways. So, we touch on a little bit about basically the south coast of New South Wales and all up and down from Sydney down pretty much all the major rivers that run from the Great Dividing Range down towards the coast and where you can actually chase bass. And this is a good episode if you are new to bass fishing, if you've never done it before, or if, you, if you're just beginning and you want to learn a little bit more. This is a really, really good episode because if Simon talks about how the fish behave and how they move depending on the time of year and for spawning. So it's important to know what time of year is best and what the fish are actually doing at that time of year. And he also talks about it in relation to floods and floods. So it's a really, really good interview and there's so many awesome tips. And even if you're an expert in chasing bass, I'm sure you'll pick up something from this episode. Someone also talks about his go-to outfits, uh, the go-to lures and a heap of stories and one in particular which is really, really cool. Uh, Whether you chase bass or not, just this story that he tells me about these fish in this big pool and how they were behaving and how he got them to feed was really incredible. So it's going to be a cracker of an episode. I'm so excited to share it with you. With you and it is very exciting. Now, before we jump in, I just want to mention we if you are a follower of the podcast and you um, have followed us since the start or in recent times, you'll notice that we didn't have a podcast out two weeks ago. So we do them, we try to do them every fortnight, and we didn't have one the last fortnight. Now, I really do want to apologize for that. And to make up for that, I'm going to have one out this week and also next week. So I'm going to do another one next week to make up for the one that we missed. So I do want to apologize to everyone who is a a dedicated listener of this podcast. I apologize for not having one out last week, but there will be another one next week and we'll continue to roll them on. Now, if you want to support this podcast or you want to support what we do, jump on and check out the SF membership. So the Social Fishing membership is a community membership where we create content for our members, in-depth content that we don't share anywhere else. And by supporting us there, you're also supporting this podcast. So that's enough from me. Without further ado, let's jump in and talk with the one, the only, Simon Pender. G'day everyone and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I have Simon Pender with me. He is a bass legend. Simon, thanks for joining me, mate. Yeah, good to be here, mate. 
been a long time. We've uh, been trying to get this one locked down, but we finally finally found the time to jump on and have a chat. Yeah, I know. It's good. Now, for those of you who don't know, Simon is the pure fishing rep for, what is it, mate? Southern New South Wales, and you also do the NT. Yeah, so I pretty much do uh, Sydney south of the border, actually doing along the Murray as well at the moment, and, yeah, doing Northern Territory as well. Yeah. So what's it like being... Because um, you've been doing that for ages. That's how I, I, I first come to meet you is that you were repping and then you met Chris and then we went for a session. I think we, we – did we go for – no, we went for a session at Blairing. Yeah, yeah, we hit Blairing. Yeah, we fished Blairing together and we've yeah, we caught up for a chat a few times and whatnot. Yeah. Um, yeah, but now I've been, been on the road for those guys for eight years or pretty, coming up to eight years now. So, yeah. Yeah, good good time to get around the state and see lots of different water and meet lots of different fishermen. Yeah, so what's it like? Do you and being an angler yourself, do you enjoy it? Because you, your whole every day is just around fishing and you meet people and, and you go is it and you you've obviously enjoy that kind of lifestyle? Yeah, definitely. I mean it's it's uh had its challenges with young children and all that sort of stuff, you know, being away from home and stuff. But yeah, definitely as a as a fisherman that you know, I froth, froth on fishing as hard yeah. as I did when I was a kid. It's, um, it's, I suppose, a great job to be able to travel around and you're always learning, you're meeting new people, you're seeing every sort of tackle store, you're seeing, yeah, all the product you can imagine. And, yeah, it's great. It's a great experience. It's, um, it's a, yeah, good job. It's not something that's, there's, you know, not a lot of repping jobs out there. So it's a, it's a great thing to be doing. And, yeah, it's um, it's definitely something that I've been very lucky to fall into the position of. Yeah, nice. Now I want to just go back to that um, that we fished at Blaring. How's your how's your experiences on chasing that meter plus cod, eh? Oh, still still chasing <laughs> it. It's um, I definitely yeah. I suppose I don't get the time to put into them that I would like. You know, as I live on the coast, so but um, it's a big goal yeah, of yours, eh? Yeah, I definitely want to crack that big cod. I mean, my best is eighty one. But um, it's very, very hard to catch them. I think they're, a, yeah, I suppose a fish that you got to sort of understand a lot and spend a lot of time on them to get the results. And you sort of think you got them dialed and worked in, and then all of a sudden they just do something totally different. Um, yeah, and I've, I actually just had a session just before the end of the end of the close there um, with one of my mates over Canberra. Yeah, and just he's fishing with that that panoptic stuff now, and oh, even that's a game changer. You start to see how many fish are there that you don't even get a bite from. Yeah, um, yeah, that's definitely one that I really probably try and work this winter coming. Maybe I'll, I'll put a few more hours in to try and try and catch that mm. metery. Yeah, so you do a lot of salt stuff. Do you reckon? Do you reckon there's a fish in the salt water that compares to a cod? Because well, obviously everyone who listens to this, well, most most people are freshwater anglers or they do a bit of both. Um, and me, myself, I I could not do a podcast on saltwater fishing full stop because I just don't have the expertise there. But do you reckon there's a fish that compares in the salt that needs just as much time as that of the cod? Or do you reckon there's one that far out exceeds the cod? Or do you reckon the cod would be one of the hardest fish to target, just on your opinion? Yeah, in my opinion, the hardest fish in our part of the world, I think, in the salt is is most likely the the jewfish or the mulloway. Yeah. Um, but in saying that, once you put the time into those things, you seem to be able to get them pretty dialed. Like you've got tides and you've got you know, a lot of factors that that sort of you can predict. Whereas cod seems so unpredictable. You know, you can go and fish a. a you know a lake or a river or whatever and fish these weather patterns and 
these water levels or whatever it is, and then you fish it again, the same situation looks the same, and the fish just do something totally yeah. different. It's, yeah, it's, it's very, I find the cod, the freshwater thing in general, I think is harder to get consistent results than potentially saltwater. I don't know if that's just because I've grown up, you know, on the coast and it's sort of second nature, but... Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think the closest we would have would be the Mulloway. Like, it's a fish that a lot of people struggle to catch, and especially with consistency. Yeah. Um, big part of that problem as well, I suppose, is the fact that they have been fished pretty heavily, you know, by amateurs and commercial. You know, and the stocks were well down, hence why they've just had a had a bit of a bag limit change in the last few years. Mm. But, um, but, yeah, they definitely can be a fish that's very, very hard to figure out, but I, I still think the cod, cod's got them covered, yeah. I reckon. Yeah. So, what do, you, do you reckon that, you know, how you are just saying that, that um, in your opinion, that the fresh kind of is harder to determine what fish are doing? Obviously, this talk, we're going to get into bass. We're going to talk about bass because um, that's your probably your, the, the freshwater fish that you've keyed into. Do you reckon it's the same with bass, that even them, if you go in the same sort of conditions, that you think you know that you've had success on before, they too can be not not as sort of in keyed to what the saltwater fish are. Do you reckon the bass are similar to all sorts of other styles of freshwater fishing, like you were just saying, or do you reckon they're a little bit more predictable? Uh, uh, I think, yeah, I think yeah, our bass, like most of my bass fishing, is done in the sort of brackish to fresh where they can just move naturally. I fish a lot of natural rivers and natural creeks and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I think when you put them in a dam situation, I think they can start to become a bit of a different beast. Yeah. Um, they behave a lot more like your yellow belly and your, you know, your redfin and whatever. And, you know, you can get those really hot deep water jig bites and stuff like that. But yeah, for, from my experience, I haven't fished huge amounts of dam fishing on bass, like, mm. but yeah, from my small experiences here and there, they do become a different animal in that environment. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is, you know, obviously the systems I'm fishing, they're super wild fish, you know, they go down to the salt, you know, in the, in the colder months and, you know, or down to the brackish water and do their business and, and make baby bass. And then they, you know, move back up in the, in the warmer months through, through spring and into summer and, yeah. and whatnot. And then again in autumn, start to move back down. So I suppose they're doing what they're naturally, you know, I guess program to do and maybe a little bit more predictable in the dam fish. Yeah, okay. But I think it's the same thing. If you fish dams a lot, you know, if you were a yellow belly fisherman, then you're going to work out dam bass mm. fairly well. Um, but yeah, definitely, I think that that dam environment changes the behaviour of a lot of those fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then if you put cod in a dam, that's where cod become ridiculously hard at times to figure out like you're saying so yeah can you tell us a little bit about yourself for those of you who don't know you um how did fishing start for you was it there at the start when you were like a little tacker or did it come along later on what was the story do you remember your first experience with fishing yeah so i suppose i've fished since before i can remember um my, my father fishes a lot and oh he did he's he's sort of slowed up a little bit he's a bit more golf orientated these days but mm-hmm. yeah definitely definitely started out at a very very young age or, oh, i think i did my first trip to out to the banks a reef system out here like which is eight miles from the mouth of the river i think it went out there i was like four years old or something um so yeah i think i was i was pretty much fishing from two or three pretty much and yeah i don't really remember my exact first fish yeah but i do remember probably my first memories of fishing would be fishing off the wharf down tartra we actually lived down the far south coast for a couple of years when i was really really young Mm. uh i was talking like probably before even kindergarten 
Um, and yeah, I was down there. That was, you know, probably my first memories fishing off the Tartar Wharf, catching silver trevally and yakas and barracuda and garfish. And yeah, it was, um, it was a great, great start into fishing. I guess what most kids start off on wharves or, yep. you know, on the bank or whatever it be. Um, and then, yeah, just, that was it. It was just forever, forever then hooked and it's just in the blood, I think. And yeah, then it obviously progressed on. We moved back up to the Shoalhaven area and lived up here pretty much. I think we moved back here end of 91, something like that. So I've lived in this Shoalhaven area pretty much most of my life. And yeah, yeah got, got back into things and did a lot of big game fishing in my early years. Yeah. Um, so chasing tuna and marlin and all that sort of stuff while I was young and still still did bits and pieces in between, like ca- catching bass, you know, I'd go up the river with Dad in the canoe and catch a few bass up around sort of Grady's and whatnot on Shoalhaven. Um, yeah, did that and then a bit of bait fishing and stuff like that for brim and things. I was pretty popular back then and then slowly, yeah, fished with one of my good mates when I was I was quite young, fishing the tinny every school holidays from probably, I don't know, maybe 11 or 12 years on, and we fished quite regularly doing that. Yeah. And started catching flatties on plastics and, you know, all the other things. Then we actually picked up fly rods and started doing a bit of that, and then the whole the whole brim luring thing came along, and I sort of went down that road for a bit. And But, yeah. I've done a lot. Gone from, yeah, chopped chop and changed. I pretty much fish for most most things that swim up and down around this part of the world. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'd probably, uh, probably just prefer to do variety of fishing nowadays, and that's probably what I love about it. I love my bass fishing because it's close to home and it's easy and I can go and do it for a few hours and doesn't upset family life too much. Yep. Um, and then obviously, but I've got my other stuff that I love to do too. I'm, I love chasing kingfish and tuna on top water lures and yeah, obviously a bit of marlin fish and things like that's always good and you can't wrong, go wrong catching a feed of flatties down the river with the kids. Yeah, that's right. That sounds good. It's a good part of the world to be in. Totally different, obviously, to what I'm used to and I enjoy this part, but every, you know, there's so many different places you could live and so many different opportunities. So it's good. It sounds like a good upbringing. That's for sure. Oh, definitely. And I think that's the thing. I think it's you know, I've got so many mates that haven't experienced cod fishing or whatever it is. And I think that's just the thing that draws me to fishing and to different fishing is just the adventure you go on and the places it takes you and the people you meet. It's not all about the fish. It's, yeah. it's To me, it's about the experience of where you go, who you do it with and, and just making those memories and, yeah, just seeing someone new and what's around that next corner every time. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's good. That's what I love about the fresh too because there's always a corner or a hidden spot or, yeah, it's, that's what's good about it. So what um what draws you to bass fishing? Is there one thing in particular about bass that you that you really like or is it just the whole adventure, the fish, the little tiny places that you go and explore? Yeah, as I said, I fish a lot of natural natural structure for them. I fish a lot of, you know, natural rivers, natural, you know, creeks, whatnot. So they're what I class as a wild bass. Um, yeah, I just I just think, yeah, the places you go is beautiful. Like we fish some places where, you know, you barely ever see anyone. And I suppose the, the harder a spot is to get to, a bit more of an adventure. You get there, yeah. you see less people and hopefully catch fish that are less pressured. Yeah. But I love that. I love, yeah, just that factor. I mean, to be honest, I really love doing it on foot. Is probably my probably the part of it the most I love is just the simplicity of grabbing you know some lures in a bag, chucking in a bag, pair of pliers and some leader and and a rod and yeah off you go. Just put yeah. on a pair of boots and go trekking through the bush and just that simplicity of not worrying about boats or kayaks or whatever it is. I, I just think that's a great. 
great back to basics fishing that you can do that's quite simple and yeah they eat just about every lure you know you can imagine um yeah no, i think it's just great great side of it yeah way. The, the places you go is you know and every every system fishes differently and yeah i just think it's it's that hunt i'm, I'm still actually looking for a 50 forker that's that's been the goal for some time i haven't managed to put one on the mat yet but i've had a few close ones but but yeah, just can't quite find that spit like the meter Murray cord. So. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. It gives you something to to really seek on every trip. You just don't know if it might be around the corner. So that's the exciting part about it. So we're going to talk. Let's talk a little bit about if someone's keen to start bass fishing or they've been doing it for some time. We'll share a bit of your knowledge on it. Now, you you mentioned to me before, like off podcast that a lot of your stuff, and you've already mentioned it here, is small stream bass stuff. Can we first of all, before we jump into that, can you talk about where I already you already mentioned where you're based but some of the major sort of waterways in your area but i know that you fish a lot of private property so a lot of the waterways that you fish like obviously people won't be able to access but are there any some are there any key sort of river systems or creek systems that run down the great divide that um hold good bass that is worth people fishing sort of down that south coast or sort of wherever you're just below wollongong aren't you so through that through that whole coastline are there any that you can mention before we jump into sort of the tactics for small stream bass yeah, look, in honesty, they're in nearly every system that stretches, yeah, okay. you know, well into Victoria from from well up the, the you know the coast. But basically, I fish pretty much south of Sydney most of my fishing, and I do fish down as far as the border. Yeah. Um, but yeah, pretty much you can jump on Google Earth, find any system. I mean, I fish the Shoalhaven system a lot for years. I used to do it after work quite a bit, where I would chuck the tinny and go up the Shoalhaven and you can catch some really big numbers of bass up there. Yeah, right, even by um, boat. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's the easiest fishing. I think, you know, if you've got young kids or whatever, like I used to just chuck in at the bridge here at Nair and I'd, I'd belt right up the system and be fishing sort of up, you know, anywhere from long reach up. Yeah. And, yeah, like you'll go out there and you'll throw top water around in the afternoons in summer and we used to go out there and be nothing to catch 20, 30 bass some afternoons, you know, in, in – an hour or two before dark. Yeah, wow. So the water, so, the water at Nara, where you put in there, that's is that salt? How far up do you have to go to find the brackish? And is it brackish that you're catching them in, or is it actual fresh? Yeah, you'll catch them anywhere from brackish right up into the fresh. But obviously, it gets pretty hard to get the boat up into the fresh because you've got a few rock bars. Right. Once you start to get to around sort of, oh, Grady's. There's a, there's a caravan park called Grady's Retreat. Um, once you get to about there, there's a rock bar just below that you can sometimes get through that depending on the river height and then there's another couple above it. So usually I don't go much past there in the boat. Yeah. But um that starts to get into canoe country or, or whatever up further up from there. But yeah, definitely below that, you know, I mean, you start catching fish from from probably only I don't know, maybe a few Ks yeah, right. above the narrow bridge and that's that's in the warmer months. In mm-hmm. the cooler months those fish will push down even well below really at times to do their spawning business but obviously there's a bass closed season through that period yeah but um but yeah definitely there's no as i tell people there's no fences out there you know we have been surprised and caught bass in areas where we've been fishing for brim before and thought what are you doing here at this time but yeah they they do sort of seem to tolerate that brackish and fairly salty water quite well yeah okay and then so you're basically saying that any of those small streams rivers that run from the great divide to the coast if you go exploring, chances are you'll come across bass. Yeah, pretty much. If you've got a system that definitely stretches up 
far enough back in the creeks and that where you will start to get away from that really salt water. Yep. Um, anywhere that's yeah that's got a creek or or a tributary that runs into it, you know, a lot of those little coastal lakes even they got if they've got big enough creeks that run into them, they go far enough back. A lot of the time they'll have bass in them. Yep. Um, but definitely those major rivers are the are the, probably the ones that are the easiest. You pretty much hundred percent guarantee there's fish in them, like the Shoalhaven and the Clyde. The Clyde's Bateman's Bay, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yep. Yeah, it's Bateman's yep. Bay, and then you go down to Maria, and you know, even down into systems like Malacuta, there's bass in the back of there. Yeah, you know, so there's there's definitely bass everywhere. I mean, some of the big rivers in Sydney, obviously, are pretty famous. The Hawkesbury Nepean has always been a very famous bass river. Yeah, um, I mean, you go right up the coast into systems like the Clarence and and places like that, and there's some really big bass in those systems. Uh, they seem to get a lot more big fish. I don't know really why, but. Maybe it's just temperature related or yeah. food source, but yeah, yeah, yeah but pretty cool. much that's the go. Big systems are, are pretty much the guarantee. Yeah, right. No, that sounds good. So, talk about something that seems to be really critical that I've sort of picked up on because I have I've only caught a couple of bass in my life and they've all been impoundment bass. Um, talk us through the seasons. Um, just give us a summary for someone who's new the seasons where the fish move to because it's not like going and chasing you know a cod. They're always there and you just can't fish from in clothes. Tell us what they do and at what time of year where you should be fishing if you should be up high or down low. Because um, I guess just before close and just after close is there periods where you can catch them when they're on their way up and back. Can you just run us through summer, like the whole year, what style of fishing you should be doing um, and we'll talk rivers and creeks and then, yeah, where on that system? Uh, we'll start with <clears throat> the basic rule of thumb, I suppose, because it's not always perfect and yep. the seasons probably showed me that. Yep. But um, obviously water flow is a big thing to do with this and droughts and whatnot changes changes how the fish behave a little bit but the fish will basically this so we'll start with this time of year i guess is is you know they're coming in to spring there now and just sort of basically the fish are finished doing their business through that colder months yeah they've just come out of clothes start of september we we open up first of september yeah so we um we pretty much usually just start to look for where the fish have got to up the system and a lot of the time that'll depend on rainfall salinity levels whatnot and a lot of time temperature as well we actually had a lot of rain for the start of this season and it's made the water quite cold and you know, a lot of fresh through the system so i assumed the fish were going to be high really quick but uh, you know we actually went first first of september this year and had a look in some areas where i thought the fish would be and we did see some but definitely not the numbers i thought were there but the water was really really cold yeah um so i dare say they've still been just sitting down in that sort of brackish water, just basically just sort of staging there, waiting for that temperature to come up a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but basically they'll start to move up your system through that springtime and eventually, like, I do believe some of them will just stay in that brackish water. I don't think all fish go all the way to the fresh. Yeah. But, um, but definitely, you know, they'll move up and, and some of the fish seem to really try and get up as far as they can. And then other fish will just hold in that brackish, semi-tidal kind of area. So you can pretty much catch them anywhere through for that for that time. And then, as I said, that that will just roll on through summer. summer. I tend to find yep. early season you'll find you'll catch less fish, but generally I find a little bit better quality. Yep. And then by the time the hotter summer comes, you know, by the time you're into your probably late December, January, February, it's um it's really those real hot days, heaps of carters, all that stuff. You'll have 
a lot of fish in the system and you you've probably your average size will drop but your numbers will go through the roof i mean we've had days where we've literally caught cricket scores oh, yeah and yeah and you're chucking the top water and catching you know 60 70 80 fish for a session wow that's so mm. good yeah it's pretty good so but um but that's that's definitely probably if you were looking to start out that's the best time to go and fish, I would say. You know, if I had to pick a month, it'd probably be like January or February. Yeah, okay. But I would go and start when you get those really hot days, those afternoons where it's building up like a thunderstorm. You got some calves just absolutely croaking their heads off, and you pretty much just know that's that's going to be an afternoon. The bass are going to bite, and you just go and throw a surface lure around, and yeah, you'll you'll pretty be pretty hard to miss as long as you're in the right area and the fish are there. Yeah, um, you should be able to catch a handful for sure. So just a quick break from the chat with Simon and I want to talk to you guys about the SF membership. Now I mentioned it right at the start of this podcast and I've mentioned it in many others before. We're continuing to grow the membership and the community and it's getting bigger and bigger. Now if you are a member and you are listening, I want to say thank you so much for your support. It is getting bigger and we are creating more content. I only just now released the Burundong maps and we have seven maps inside the social fishing maps. Now if you haven't heard about them before, they are interactive maps with Details on access points, key fishing areas, fishing tips. Uh, There's a group, a forum, and everything you need to know about that waterway. So at the minute, we have seven available. You can see which ones are available if you jump on the social fishing website and you can check out what's available. I have just released the Burundong maps. They are out now and we're going to continue to add more and more. We're starting with all the major dams and lakes and then we will move on to river systems. So the more support we can get for the membership, the more maps we can put together and help you guys. When you're planning a trip, you'll not only have reports about if the fish are biting there we've got monthly reports written by local anglers they're going to tell you what the fish are doing what techniques to use there's information on what techniques work best the seasons lure types the species how they behave in the waterway what size they are Uh, like i just mentioned seasons which is so important there's also videos that we create and the maps so you now don't just rock up to a lake and have no idea where to go and this was what it was a massive issue for me when I was younger is I had just you had no idea where to go, even if you could camp or where you could access a lake. And even now, there's lakes that I've never been to before or rivers, and you don't know where the reserves are, where you can get in, if you can camp, and then where the key fishing spots are. And we've done the research for you. We visit these lakes for four to six days, sometimes more depending on how big they are, spend time doing all the access points, giving star ratings to the campsites, uh, what it's like, what the bank fishing is like, and also all the key fishing spots out on the water. Never seen before, absolutely incredible, and we put our heart and soul into this social fishing membership. If you want to take your fishing to the next level, go check it out at socialfishing.com.au. There's stacks of information there. Have a look and see if it's something you would like to be a part of. Now let's jump back into the episode with Simon. So what's the go with temperatures? Is the If you have super hot weather, is that just always going to be good for the fish but what happens when we had the drought did the water boil did it get too hot did it shut the fish off or because it's in that sort of um what do you call it uh, on the sort of coastal side it's that sort of humid the water doesn't actually get that hot or does it not bother the bass every system's different i right. mean I, I when i talk a lot about i'm referring to my systems that i fish at home i guess which is you know the Shoalhaven area but yeah all the systems are different but water levels is a big thing um, 
the fish have got to be able to move up through these these skinny creeks and and stuff into the top sections. So if there's not enough water, if it hasn't rained or whatever, and a lot of these rock bars are really really low or whatever, then the fish won't won't push up. Right. You know, obviously they can't, so they'll just stage in that brackish water. Or and you'll have years like last year, we would come down that drought and we're basically and I remember we fished on the first last year around the start of the opening and we caught a couple of fish but not a lot of fish, but they were fish that had definitely been trapped up in there as, in those pools yep. and they were sort of resident. Um, and then pretty much after that, we didn't really fish much because the fishing was pretty quiet and it just got drier and drier to a point where we took photos of holes that we would normally fish that were just bone dry. Wow. And there was fish kills because there was, there was fish that just got stuck up there and got algae blooms. And I know fisheries did some work around trying to get some of the fish out and, and move them. And we actually had um, one of my good mates who, who I've done this fishing with for 20 years or something. Um, he had organised with some guys at fisheries to go and rescue some fish. Um, luckily enough, we got a rain event straight before that happened and managed to, to sort of do what it needed to do without the manual labour. That's good. But, um, but yeah, like, in, and we went and had... 300, four, oh, I think we had more, no, we think we had four or 500 mil of rain in like three days, yeah. um, which totally flooded the system and that. But then you go from creek beds that were bone dry to flowing, you know, in full flood. Yeah. And within, I looked back at my history the other day when I knew we were going to do this and I think I looked back and within seven days, I caught a, a pretty healthy fish. 10 k's from probably where he would have been staged in the brackish 10 k's in seven days upstream where he would not have been able to get before that so yeah, it just shows wow. how fast they can move up through these rapid sections and so, yeah, yeah that's um, cool. So then it depends on this. Obviously, the drought's no good for it, but that that system usually is really wet. Like you guys, even when it's drought time, get the rain from the coast like constantly. Like in a wet season, you just it just you get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of mils a eh, through that system. Yeah, and that's yeah, obviously definitely. what the fish need is that rainfall so they can move up. So this year, looking ahead, it's going to be a good summer. You reckon? Yeah, it should, should be. be. As I said, like our systems. It's the clearest I've ever seen it. And every flood is different. We had that flood in February last year and it, it rained pretty heavy for three days. Um, but what happened this year actually for our flood, so that was that was February last year, and then we had another flood. Uh, must have been, I'm trying to think when it was, June? Yeah. I think it was June this year. Yeah. And basically we had, we actually had a rain event before that. We had 300 mil in a weekend about two weeks earlier. Yeah. And then we copped another East Coast low, which dropped another three, 350, 400 mil two weeks after the first event. Mm-hmm. But what had happened, the first event obviously would have soaked the ground to a point where it can't take any more. Then the second event happened again. So basically within the first day, the ground soaked up again. And then after that, you got two days of rain that pretty much ran straight off. Yeah. So the creeks go really, really dirty and... Basically, yeah. Once once that finished, you know, pushed all that water out, and, and it, every flood's different. And then you see, once that water sort of finishes running off the surface of the ground, which is washing sediment in, making it really dirty, then what happens? And this is only my experience: is the water seeps out of the ground. Yep. So it starts to run clear because it's basically filtered from the ground. Yep. 
So the top of the system clears first and then that flows down your system slowly. The bottom end will get cleaned out by salt water pushing in and out on high tides. Mm-hmm. But at that top end of your freshwater, your system, it's it's basically starts to run clear because it's not running off the top of the soil anymore. It's actually running out of the ground. Yeah. And basically that's what we thought about this season. We thought, oh, we're going to be straight on start start of the season. We went up there and it was the clearest water I've seen these creeks in a long time, like probably ever. Yeah. Um, but the water but was yeah, too cold. So, <clears throat> too cold, really, really cold. And we did see some fish, but I think also because it was so clear, it's very hard to catch them. They're usually a bit of colour in the waters in all these sorts of systems. Yeah. Some of the ones I fish down south are a bit more tannin stained. Yeah. Um, and they're all different. Like the, a lot of the streams and that up our way, we range, <clears throat> we do a lot of stuff that'll have, you know, mud or natural rock kind mm-hmm. of structured creeks. With obviously with trees, snags, and whatnot, but you go further south. Some of the systems I fish down south are, are predominantly river sand, so the fish are all different in different areas. But yeah, yeah definitely around our areas, it's running super clear. And I did actually check a system when I was down south the other week, and um, it was surprisingly clear as well. Yeah. So I think all the systems up and down the coast are going to be quite healthy. Obviously, coming out of the back of that drought. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, yeah, it's just a matter of just going and, and having a look and trying to work it out. And you might have to do a few Ks on foot to, to sort of work out where the bulk of the fish are. Yeah. But, yeah, and then and once summer gets through, you'll start to – the fish will start to retreat back down the system. So you'll probably get that, that peak probably in February, maybe March, depending on the system. And then I believe a lot of the fish will start to think about going back down. Yeah. And what we had last year, we had that rain in February – but by the time end of March came, bulk of our fish had pushed back out of the creeks because they were already starting to think about going spawn again. Right, okay. So even though they'd only gone up for a matter of weeks, they, they were ready to go back out. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then when they're moving up and down, will they feed while they're moving? And Or do you reckon they move that quick? Like you said, they do like on their way back, do they take their time or do you reckon they're just within a week they're back where they want to be? Um, Are you not sure? Yeah, I'm not really sure in that. So, look, I think every year is different, but I do think a lot of the time a lot of these fish move at night. Um, I have watched them move during the day, no doubt, but I've obviously been walking through shallow pools and, and watched fish move, you know, right on dark a lot. Yeah. And I do think probably it's safer for them, you know, otherwise if they're going through really shallow sections trying to get up into the high reaches, you've got, you've got basically, you know, a lot of chance that birds will pick them off or whatever it is. Yeah. So I think they a lot of time they do move through that shallow water at night um, in, in the bigger numbers anyway. And, yeah, you can go and fish a creek. As I said, if you get a rain event, you can fish it. As soon as that creek starts to drop back, you can go and fish in those pools uh, uh, that had barely any fish in them and at chockers and there's heaps of fish in them. So yeah, right. I think they can move quite fast, but... Once the water level settles a lot, I think they move around a lot less. So I think they sort of move up a stage in a hole. If that water level drops, they'll just find one of those refuge holes, those big holes, and they'll just hold in them. Yeah. And then if it get another rain event, they'll either choose to go back up mm-hmm. or whether it's getting to that time of the year where they're thinking about making baby bass, they might shoot back down. Yeah, but, okay. Um, but yeah, there will always be some fish stay. I don't think all fish go to spawn every year. Yeah, okay. But, um, but definitely through those, you know, obviously we had the bass closed season now, but before we had it, I mean, we still never even bothered fishing those top, top ends of the system anyway before the close was on because the numbers sort of just weren't there. Yeah, okay. So so what time do you reckon? End of March 
as it starts to cool down. Oh, they, depending on the rain levels and things, but yeah, like you will catch them pretty good in March and April at times. But then, as I said last year, by the end of March, the fish had really started to think about leaving a lot of the systems that we were fishing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, probably by the time May, usually by the time sort of May kicks in, the fish are really starting to think about being back down in that, that brackish water, I believe. And yeah, definitely pretty much I, I put the rods away. You know, pretty much, and don't bother any. You know, pretty much from end of April, really, I sort of I let them be and do their thing and yeah, whatnot, and know that the best best fishing's behind me for the season, I believe, and yeah, yeah. Let, them, let them go and do their thing and let them have a few months off anyway, and then usually get back into it start of September. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the really the key part is sort of spring, and then the the peak for those numbers is that hot period through till sort of Feb, mid-March. That's what you'd sort of say is like yeah, September to mid-March. Yeah. Yeah, April's pretty good usually as well because you do get some pretty nice stable warm weather around April. But but definitely for me, my peak, if I was picking bass season, is probably from, you know, like late December, you know, pretty much from Christmas on. Yep. Um, through through January and February, I reckon, is when you're going to get your best numbers. Yeah, okay. Cool. So, and a good thing about that time of year is they'll eat. Yeah, they're not going to be anything. Basically, they'll eat surface lures, they'll eat spinnerbaits, they'll eat plastics, they'll eat divers, they'll eat anything. Basically, you throw at them. Yeah. Whereas in those months where it's on the fringes of the season, where it's a bit cooler, a lot of time they'll be a little bit fussier and they might not be looking up and eating top water yet and things. So you got to you got to probably have a look at different options. Yeah. Okay. Righto. So let's talk a little bit about. Um, okay. So I want to break this next bit up into sort of two. What are the mm-hmm. what are the go to lures? Um, the gear setup, your leader line, all of that. Sort of what you're running. And the other part is your approach. Like if you've never chased bass, do do like because if you're chasing trout or like I'm coming from someone who knows how to chase trout or cod, there's different styles of fishing. Like trout, there's a big rule of you know with the clearer creeks you got to walk upstream. Um, and when it comes to cod, it's all about structure. So with the bass, two things. First of all, talk, touch, run through your gear, some of the key lures, things like that, and then some yep. of the techniques for actually what you do on the water. All right. So probably gear wise, I like to fish. Usually I, I go a little bit stiffer on rods than some guys, but I like to fish like a three to five or something like that. Is that just so you can crack um, that fifty-four card? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like because I'm not, I'm not really there to, to basically let a little fish run heaps of line off and have heaps of fun on him. Because then I run the risk of hooking a big fish to bust me off, and yep. I don't want that fish wearing a lure if it doesn't need to. So I generally try and have that muscle there to pull a big fish out of the snag. And if it means you catch a little one and you wind him in easy, well, that's how it is. So be it, yep. Um, so, yeah, generally fishing a little bit shorter a lot of the time because I'm on foot. So I'm fishing anywhere from 6.6 six to 6.10 is ideal. Seven foot you can get away with, but 6.6 six to 6.10. Yep. Um, and then fishing, yeah, like as I said, three to five kilo. I'm fishing mostly around a 2,500 size reel. Yep. So... And then I'm um, I'm fishing ten pound, eight pound or ten pound fly line. Yeah. Um, I like fly line. A lot of people are into this soft PE thing. I just still love fly line because it it breaks so far over usually what it says it does. You know, ten pounds probably breaking closer to twenty. You run the it's exceed. Great. The exceed. Uh, I, I still run fly line original. Yep. Yeah. I, I still love me fly line original. Like I'll probably go and run the yeah, eight pound. Probably starting out is probably my my normal go to. Yeah. Um, then I'll fish a, a ten pound leader as a as a base. That's where I start from. 
Right. If I'm having it real tough and it's clear and the fish are a bit spooky and calm and no wind and that, maybe I'll go down to, to eight or I'm going to have dropped down lower than that in desperate situations. But that's more in rivers where there's a lot of river sand where you probably can, you know, be a little bit lighter and get away with it. Yep. But when I'm fishing structured, you know, rock bars and, you know, stuff with timber and things like that, I definitely, you know, want to stay at, you know, if I can, eight pound or, or 10 pound. And then even that situations where if, you know, you're fishing really, really big fish and they're not fussy, you might even bump up to, to 15 pound or something if you had to. Yeah, okay. Um, so what's your standard is 10? Like 10 is where I start. Right. For sure. Like I just think that's a good happy medium for bass fishing. I don't think they're a lot of time that leader shy. Right, but so they're I not like trout that. in crystal clear waterways where there's a difference between four and six. They're they're no. not as spooky as that. Not not as spooky, definitely. They're quite aggressive. Right, um, but as I said, if if I do start at ten and I'm having trouble and I'm getting refusals or I've seen fish following and not eating, then I might drop down the leader size. But I figure you're better off to throw the heavy gear in first. Yep, and have a good chance on him. If he does eat, but then if you fish a couple of pools or something and you're not getting bites, then you might need to back it off and then buy the bite. But, um, yeah, if you if you don't need to go light, why would you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, And for those of you who don't know, bass pull, don't they? Like they're proper, proper sports fish. Yeah. For the first, when I was young, I, I didn't really, you know, buy into it. I sort of thought, oh, yeah, my old man or whatever, you know, they'll, they'll get you, you know, bust you off in a snag or whatever. And first couple I caught were smaller fish when I was young. I thought, oh, yeah, and then I remember I hooked this fish and it just, yeah, it, it blew me away to how hard it can fight for a fish of its size. It, it was amazing. If you hook hook the right one in the right structure, he knows he's only going to get that far to get home. It's amazing what they'll do. Yeah. So, And it seems to be the harder you pull on them, the harder they'll pull back all the time, especially these bigger fish. Once you get over that 40 centimetre size, I find they really – they really, yeah, become a different animal almost. Yeah, so, well, so that's why yeah. like 10's almost sort of underdoing it with some of those fish. Like you said, if you're in heavy timber and you get a big fish, there's a good chance he'll get you, hey? Oh, I've been hosed on 15 pound leader before and, you know, just hooked fish and just bang, gone, shut the gate, it's all over and you think, oh, yeah. yeah, right, how big was that thing? And yeah, so it's it's there's no guarantees with them. I mean, if you hook a fish that's in nasty country and, I mean, I suppose sometimes that's part of it as well, you've, you know, you can't be scared to put a lure somewhere where you think maybe it's not coming back from because yeah. that's that's a lot of time where those big fish live. You know, they live in that really key piece of structure in that hole or in that river or whatever it is. And if you think, oh, I'm not going to throw my lure in there because I don't want to lose it, well, you know, it'll look shiny in your tackle box, but it won't have, a, won't have a monster bass potentially. And a lot of time you do, they eat in really nasty structure and think, oh, no, and it just swims out, swims the wrong way, and you get your line back and it comes out and, and yeah. you're fine but then other times yeah if they eat it and they just turn and bury you and it's all over so, and i have seen quite a few people in the water up to their up to their neck chasing lures and bass out of snags and things but you do whatever you got to do to land them yeah yeah exactly what are the what do you go to lures that you tie on the end oh, obviously the situations that's, are different yeah. but like that's that's a hard one it's the endless tackle box the bass tackle box but um so i suppose I, I have a handful of things i take yeah generally as my go-to's yep um i mean pretty much one of the most popularly bought bass lures around is going to be old cicada style thing like a, a you know whether it be a soft or a hard-bodied cicada with trebles on it you chuck it out and just worked across the surface like a, a wounded cicada that's fallen out of the tree or something yep um that's that's no no brainer you've got to have one of them in your box for sure 
Um, they just paddle, don't they? The little paddlers. Yeah, just a, just basically work much like a cod surface lure, I guess, but just obviously on a lot smaller scale. Yeah. And yeah, basically just just and you don't even need to fish them that fast. A lot of the time, you know, you throw it in, let it settle. You just got to imagine what a cicada does when it falls out of the tree, it lands in the water, it doesn't just start flying across the pool at a yeah. miles an hour. It just sort of sits there and shimmers and shakes a little bit at the start, thinking, oh, what's going on? I'm in the water. And then, you know, a lot of time you don't even have to move it far at all, just make it jiggle. So there's a few few rings coming off the lure on the pool and, yeah, yeah the bass will find it. And half the time they'll find it for it. Even you move it, you throw it in, hits the water and bang, they eat it straight <laughs> yeah, away. Yeah, that's so cool. But, um, but yeah, and then, uh, like, I do different, different systems, different situations, but I do like weedless frogs. Okay. Um, especially around big rain events where, you know, there's a lot of flooding, a lot of water, a lot of frogs, you know, that sort of stuff and systems where there is lots of frogs. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I definitely like weedless frogs, all different varieties. I haven't found one that's, you know, really the standout for me. Yeah. And um, they're surface, obviously. Yeah. So, yep. basically floating, floating weedless frog and, and you can basically throw them into really nasty structure. You can throw them around weed beds. You can throw them in that, that weedless side. You do have a little bit of an issue with hookup rate sometimes, but yeah, I think it's just a bit of a knack of learning then, like learning to let the fish eat the lure yep. and almost drop your rod tip as he eats it and let the fish turn yep. and then sort of hit him pretty hard to get those hooks to set. But mm. yeah, you'll, you'll miss a few at the start for sure generally when you're learning to fish them because the fish will hit it and your knee-jerk reaction is to jerk the rod and the lure flies away from the fish. Yeah, But, um, but they are a very good tool for having around structure that you can't throw something with trebles, you know, weed and whatnot. Um, so that's probably one of my go-tos. I'm, I still reckon, though, I've caught a lot of good bass on a, a traditional walk-the-dog style surface lure. So yeah. I throw a lot of uh, Berkeley 3Bs in a scum dog. Uh, They're only little, aren't they? They're only like 60 mil or how Oh, no, we do, a, we do a small one um, and then we do a bigger one. I throw the bigger one. I think it's 64. 60 mil, 65 mil, I think it yeah. is. Um, but I throw it quite a lot. It's probably produced a lot of my better fish. Um, I think, yeah, they're not too dialed whether the thing on the surface making a paddling, blopping noise or whether it's just zigzagging across the surface. I think as long as something's moving on the surface, they don't really care what it is a lot of the time. They just go, I'm going to eat it. Yeah. Um, I just find they're good because you can search water quite fast with them instead of like a cicada, which doesn't work very good winding and fast mm. whereas a a traditional sort of walk the dog lure you can chuck it in let it settle still just twitch it on the spot for a second and, and see if one wants to eat it like that and then if not i'll just get that walk the dog action happening and i'll walk it happily for two or three meters and then stop it yep. and let it pause and then again walk it for another two or three meters and let it pause and then you might give it a bit of a shake on the spot and you can just cover a lot more water a lot faster, I find, than you can with the cicada. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, in some of those systems where you've got like those sandier rivers, because uh, all systems are fish different and that, but yeah, some of those sandier river systems, you need to cover that water a bit faster. Yeah. And um, generally, you'll find, you know, the fish will be in groups in sections where you'll go along, nothing, nothing, nothing for a long way. And then all of a sudden, bang, 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 you'll catch 10 or, or more fish in a short space time in a short space of bank. Yep. And I think that's a great thing to be able to search that water quite fast with that type of tool. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then you get the days where they don't want to know anything about water and then you start to look at subsurface. And obviously, you know, in your bigger systems like Shoalhaven and that, if you're fishing out of a boat or a canoe or something, obviously your divers are a really popular option. 
And don't think you won't catch bass patrolling there. If you're in your canoe or your kayak and if you're just moving along a bank or you want to stop and have some lunch or whatever, you know, it's worth chucking one out and either paddling along or electricing along or something and yeah, you'll catch plenty on the troll on a diver as well. Yeah, and does the shape of the um, diver matter? It doesn't really? Oh, like more pencil style? Or? No, I tend to tend to find more like a, a crank style or a shad style. Yeah, a bit deeper. Um yeah, and I think, and then if you if you're fishing dams, a lot of guys throw jerk baits in dams, and they will work in your creeks as well and in your shallow water. Um, but I tend to think, yeah, that that fatter presentation, something along the lines of like a yeah, like a crank or something like that, is probably the, the go to. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, like and then you have got spinner baits, uh, obviously a no brainer, obviously a little bit smaller version normally than I would throw it at yellow belly and cod. Yeah. But um just a, a you know, one eighth or a one six or a one quarter or something like that with a, a bit of a smaller hook in it. Usually yep. a sting is a pretty good thing. Um they're pretty good. And yeah, now you've got this whole thing, guys starting to fish these skirted jigs and all that sort of stuff is is yeah, I mean just endless world of lures, yeah. but I do throw a lot of plastics at them plastics, as well. Plastics, yeah, I was going to say yeah, plastics. Yeah. Would you yeah, prefer so... do you prefer a paddle tail or a curl tail, or a creature sort of style? Oh, I don't really have a preference. I guess I, I think probably colour is probably more important to me. Yep. Um, I find days where you know I'm a big fan of natural coloured lures, and I'll throw a natural. Pretty much first thing ever, you know, I'll tie on for the day. If I, if I know that I'm going to be in surface, I'll tie on a natural coloured plastic. Yeah. Um, I've had days where I just catching nothing, and then all of a sudden, my mate puts on pink or green and smokes me. You know, he's got me ten nil before too long, and I think I'm right, never to find something bright in my box. And <laughs> so I definitely always got pink in there, and uh, and yeah, something in a bright green colour as well. And I tend to find a lot of the time that's when the water is quite clear. Yep. They'd seem to go those bright colours and, weird, and then eh? that natural colour in that darker water. I don't know if it's to do with silhouetting or I don't really know, but yeah, definitely we've had some days where the water's quite clear and we've had some pretty hot bites on bright pink and bright green. Yeah, okay. So, but um, shape wise, yeah, I don't think it really nice. matters. I yeah. mean, I've had some days where the fishing's been really, really tough and I've stuck the old black gulp grub on yeah. and it's pretty much a never fail. Yeah, um, it's you know if things are getting real drastic, that's the thing you put on. And if you don't catch one on that, you might as well go home. <laughs> that's funny. But, um, but yeah, uh, probably a, a thing that to look at for guys that are out there doing a bit of bass fishing and, and maybe haven't looked at them. Owner do a really good product. Could own a flashy swimmer. It's yeah. actually a weedless hook with a weighted belly with a little arm with a flasher blade on it. And that's uh, that's probably one of me the hot lures I've used in the last four or five years, and I've caught a lot of big fish on that. So you just rig any um, plastic you want on it, hey? Yeah, just pick your plastic. Make sure that the the plastic's suited to the gape size of the hook. So they only do a – well, they do bigger ones for cod now as well, but they do a 10, 30, 50, 60, 80, 10, 0, 12, 0. Yeah. So pretty much the 1.0 and 3.0 are the 2.0 I'll use on bass. Yeah. Uh, if I'm fishing system, I know there's some better fish there and I'm kind of trying to weed out the smaller ones and hopefully only catch a handful of big ones. Then I'll throw a 3 and, and potentially like a four-inch plastic, even something as big as maybe like a four-inch Berkeley hollow belly or something. Yeah. Um, but generally, if I'm just fishing in general, I'll probably fish something like a Nemesis four-inch or a um, maybe even like a T-tail, you probably know him from trout yep. fishing, Berkeley T-tail minnow, yep. something like that. He's always really, really good. We've got a couple of new baits out this year. 
we've got a new little three-inch paddle tail Nemesis yeah. um, in Powerbait, which I've actually, I threw a lot of that last year in testing, and that was probably one of the standout lures for me last year. So, yeah, they've just hit the shops now. So, anything like that is is really good option. Yep. Yeah, no, it sounds like in terms of plastics, like they kind of like trout. Like you could throw just a range of different lures at them, um, and they'd still eat, which is really. It sounds like it'd be like super fun fish to target. So, the question was that you started with those three surface lures. Are they a fish that you can cast surface all day? What's the go when it comes to surface fishing for bass? Is there rules, or they'll eat surface all day, or it just depends on the day? On the day, yeah, definitely. They will eat surface all day. Yeah. Um, but I have seen days where they do really shut off the surface. Um, I suppose it depends on what you want to do. If, you, if you're, all you want to do is go and catch bass on surface, you can try surface all day, and no doubt you'll catch some, in, in you know, especially in the tops of some of those systems. And even, like, for instance, the Shoal Haven, you can go and throw surface around all day. You might not catch a lot of fish, but I'm sure you'll catch some. Yeah. But... Yeah, you'll get those days where, for instance, I might be a bit overcast, really humid. You know, you'll get those days and they definitely fish a lot better, you know, I think, with that lower light. Yep, okay. But um, they're definitely but yeah. key at first and last light, obviously. Yeah, low light hours, like a lot of fish, especially surface feeding. Um, yeah, for, for sure, like if you're fishing a bigger system like the Shoalhaven and you're up there in your boat or whatever, fishing like some of those big rock walls and things, pretty much early morning you're going to get a good surface bite and then they'll usually shut off a little bit, and you might want to start fishing cranks or plastics or whatever. Yeah. And then again, you know, three, four, five o'clock in the afternoon, you know, you just, yeah, bang out the surface lures again and start fishing until dark, and then after dark you can have some absolutely really hot fishing, fishing in the dark, and it can be quite tough depending on the system you're fishing and the structure you're casting at. You know, you're trying to fish in pitch black darkness, and but it's uh it's pretty fun fishing. It's like you know like cod fishing surface in the dark. I guess you're just working the lure out there in the in the pitch black, and you don't know what's happening. And then all of a sudden, sounds like someone's chucked a brick at your lure. So. Yeah, it's good, eh? Yeah. yeah, you get some pretty hot bites at night. So you just got to deal with the bugs and and not being able to see where you're walking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds the same as cod to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly the same. So let's talk a little bit about um some of the techniques. So what are some rules that for someone who's just getting into bass fishing? that they kind of sh- should need to know about, like if they're approaching, we'll talk about small water because that's what you fish. Is there any direction you should cast? If you light on your foot, what's the retrieve like? Like what's the, obviously you already talked through the retrieve with surface, but is there anything in particular that you think people need to know? Uh, I think much like trout, you know, they're, they're generally going to be facing into the current if they're in current. Um, so obviously walking, walking upstream is preferable but yeah. sometimes you can't and I, I trust me i do walk the other way and catch plenty of fish but i think about how i'm going to fish the hole before i walk into it yeah exactly so if i walk into the hole and i might be looking at it thinking okay i think the fish is going to sit there or there or there on these couple of key structures so i'll think all right i want to fish the ones on the downstream end of the hole first mm-hmm. and then because then you're not going to hopefully upset the fish that are in front of them mm-hmm. and then basically i'll do that um, but yeah, basically just, just try and be quiet when you, you get in any of that skinny water or something like that. I think, you know, they're up in these little creeks or wherever it is, rivers, sandy rivers, whatever, and they're not used to people being there, I guess. And so if you can try and be a little bit stealthy and, you know, I said, yeah, cast from, from behind them and yeah, basically you'll, you'll be probably best, best bet doing that way. Um, I think if you cast 
down current, obviously your lure doesn't work as good. If it, if you do have flow in the system flowing against you, yep. Um, obviously, you know your lure will will you know not be able to be fished quite as well as fishing it down the current. Yep. But um, yeah, these systems don't generally have a lot of flow. You know, if you're fishing them in a flood event, it would, but very very hard to do that. Um, so yeah, basically, I'd be I'd be just trying to be quiet, sneak in, think about your cast before you hit a hole, and sort of yeah, try and think about it. Don't just get in there like first cast in, boom, and you know you might hook a fish that's at the head of the hole, and that puts off all the other snags because he swum down the hole and. You know, you've wrecked that whole hole. She could, could have caught three or four out of that hole and then said you catch one fish and then you've got to move on. So Yeah, yeah, right. And then yeah. are they structure or like are you looking for key structure? Like are you looking for points behind rocks, behind logs? Is that where you're casting or do you still fan cast? So, for example, if I'm chasing cod, I only care about the structure. Whereas if I'm chasing trout, I kind of just fish the whole pool. What's the go with bass? Depends on the day really and, I mean, and the system you're fishing. But, I mean, I've... Yeah, I've had days where they'll be locked in on snags, logs, whatever it is, and bang, 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 and you're catching them off there and nowhere else. I've had other days where they're not even on the snags and they might be on a little bit of weed edge or something like that. And then I've had other days where, I mean, probably every bass fisherman's nightmare is, is a flying ant hatch because they get these massive flying ant hatches and the fish just become sometimes almost impossible to tempt. They just, really? They just dialed in on eating these tiny flying ants and i had a bite like this two years ago and, and i was fishing a system down south that i fish a bit i know it's got some big fish in it and i just at first there's, there's mullet it's quite brackish this system where i'm fishing and there's a lot of mullet there as well normally and i saw a few mullets swimming around and then this ant hatch was was happening and I started watching a lot of fish eat these ants off the surface and I thought at first, oh, the mullet are eating, they're eating these flying ants. Yeah. And then I found it's quite a low sandy sort of river, so not a lot of vantage points to get a get a good view. And I managed to find this little hill that I climbed up next to the bank, and I, I looked out and I, there, well, hang on, that's a bass, and that's a bass, and that's a bass, and that's a, and there was probably two or three hundred bass in these two holes swimming around on the flats in two foot of water in these flying ants. And, I mean, it was probably one of the biggest flying ant hatches I've ever seen. Wow. And they were just basically swimming along like a trout would, just sipping these things off the surface one after another. And you'd throw a lure near them and they'd just swim past it like it didn't exist. And I, I ended up racking my brain trying to work out what to do about this this bite. I walked back to my car. I even got out my finesse rod. I was thinking of ways to jimmy a rig up, like I was going to throw a cert, like a, a dry fly and put a split shot up the line so I could cast it on my spin rod. And I was going to just hop the sinker down the drift and let this fly float along. That was the, the worst-case scenario. Yeah. And um, I managed to actually tempt a fish, I end up throwing a Berkeley tea tail in a pearl olive colour. Yeah. And I basically threw that on a worm hook unweighted. Yeah. Did it still sink? And Oh, just, just. But I basically threw it out and I just wound it across the surface, like just, just paddling across the surface. Yeah. And yeah, two, three casts in, I had a follow and I thought, oh, I've got a reaction. That's a good thing. I threw it back in. And then I watched this fish swim over and eat it. And I thought, oh, it's only one of the little ones, though. 
I hooked this thing and I got it on four pound fluorocarbon on on a really light rod, and um and that fish was forty five and a half to the fork. Wow! So the other fish that were there were there were some substantial creatures there. I, I definitely think the fifty was there. It just yeah, it was was full of ants. But um, so did you so get yeah. more, or you still that you still struggled to catch? No, them? I was actually running short on time. I actually had to be somewhere that afternoon, so yeah, I um. Yeah, I was I I got that fish, and then it was really funny actually. The wind changed a bit, and I reckon there was a bit of a change coming, and it was almost like a switch. Probably twenty minutes after that, they stopped eating them off the surface, and I mean there were still thousands and thousands of these things dead on the surface everywhere, but the fish just stopped eating them. Wow! And have you experienced um, it since, like this ant hatch thing, or is it? Oh, happens happens. Yeah, pretty much every season. Oh, it so, does, especially through yeah, especially through pretty much. Most, most of my hatch bites I've ever seen have probably been in time from sort of late September to end of November. Yeah. When most of them have happened. And they can, I, I'd probably say more often than not, I don't catch a lot of them. Um, we've had other situations where we, we did catch them pretty good. We actually were throwing the small 48 mil Berkeley three beast gum dogs. Yeah. And it was really weird. And this is the sort of level that you have to dial in on sometimes with these things is we worked out that we'd watch one eat an ant and we had to basically cast our lure really high in the air yeah, and let the lure drop vertically basically, hit the water, and then you had to manage to whip that line enough to make that lure move before your belly laid on the water. Ah, uh, yep, yep. And boom, you get a bite straight away. And But if you let that belly of line lay on the water came over, wandered in, start again. Really? That is it weird. That, How did you work that, that out? I don't know. We just did it. And then one of us got a bite and we're like... What did you do? Yeah. <laughs> and then we thought about it and then we'll cast it. And every time we'd let the line land the water and I threw it. And then I think we worked... I don't know. even know how we paid attention to that small fact, but it worked. And we, we did catch some absolute crackers. I think we got some 47s, sort wow. of centimeter fork fish and that, that afternoon doing that. And we probably caught... Yeah, maybe ten or fifteen fish, and yeah, it was it was just that small fact. As soon as that line laid on the surface, it was a milky glassed out afternoon. It just spooked but them. Yeah, they they just would not. As soon as that line laid on the water, they didn't want to know about it. So that's crazy. and I don't know if it's because they're so dialed into looking up. Yep. You know, because they're looking at all these ants on the surface and anything like that that just looks so unnatural. Yeah. Whereas quite a small little surface lure landing in the water. And then if they don't see that line attached to it, they think, oh, and they go over and just sip it really quickly. Yep. But we're also, we were casting that fish or we're feeding, you'd kind of try and pick a pattern. You'd go, okay, you ate that one there. You moved four to foot, you ate that one there, moved four to foot. And then you'd think, okay, it's going to be about there. And then you'd cast it, land, jiggle, jiggle, and you'd surf, you know, eat it and away you'd go. That's sick. That's really cool. I would yeah. never have thought that. That's, yeah, it's funny the things you come up with eh, in certain situations when you've yeah, got the opportunity. You yeah. gotta always try and think outside the box and think think something that maybe might be different, might work, because they will frustrate you, especially when mm. they're doing that. Yeah. You know, when they're eating flying ants, and I've seen guys get out fly rods and try everything. And you know, I think the hard part is if you try and match the hatch, like everyone always says. Then problem is you've got thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of these things potentially laying on the water. How do you get the fish to eat that one? Yeah. You know, so I always think slightly different to what they're eating is good. Yep. 
Um, something in like a, a smaller cicada version or something like that would always be a good option in that, like just a little black cicada or something, like as maybe as small as you can buy. Yeah. I think uh, maybe TMK might do one. I think it's called like a teeny, teeny cicada or something like that, like 30, 35 mil long. Yeah, right. Maybe that, that would be the sort of option. Stand maybe, out, but yeah. yeah. That's a good yeah, way to we'll, think, um, isn't it? Not to completely match the hatch in a situation like that because like what's the chances? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, if if you turn around and you go match the hatch and they're eating cicadas and there's only, you know, every 15 minutes a cicada falls in the water or something, well, that's, that's good. a different story. But when you've got 10,000 of these ants on the surface and they're just swimming along sipping, sipping them as they go, it's um it's quite hard to get him to notice your one that looks exactly like an ant. Yeah, so. that's something people can take away for sort of any sort of any style of fishing really. So that's a good thing. It's a good thing to yeah. think of. Um, mate, it's been a good episode. I reckon we could have talked for so much longer, but I do have a couple more questions for you. Um, do you have a story of your most memorable bass? Or is there any memorable experience you've had? The one you just told me was pretty cool. But is there any memorable experience that you've had um, chasing bass, your biggest bass, or, or some sort of situation that happened? Is there anything you can think of? Or oh, so many. I know. <laughs> yeah, try, I know. Try to think, oh, we probably, probably, yeah, my PB. I've probably got one. Uh, it was down south, actually. I was, I was actually at work. Seen, seen some guys in a shop, and it was the end of the day, and, they were like pretty keen to, to go for a fish after work. And I said, oh, what do you want to do? And they said, oh, we'll go and chase a brim or a bass or something. I said, okay. Well, and we said, we'll go to this other spot up here. And I said, yeah, 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 I'll fish there a bit anyway. And so that they were, they'd fished at their local, obviously. And I said, yeah, I fished there before, so we'll go. So we went up there and there was actually four of us. And we got down there and we just sort of started walking. And two of the boys sort of walked down to the right. And me and one of the other guys walked left. Yeah. And started casting them. Bang, straight away, bang, bang. This was, you know, summertime, so, but, you know, still daylight. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, whack, whack, started catching a few fish, and we actually got a triple hookup straight away as soon as we walked down there, and they were all good fish, all sort of mid mid to high 40, uh, high 30s, sorry. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, we ended up proceeding to catch quite a good number of fish that afternoon, all reasonably good fish, and just standing on this nice river sand, casting to to structure on the outside of the river, you know, really simple, right in front of where we parked the car. Surface? And then, yeah, all on surface. And um, and then basically, yeah, I pretty much right on, just on dark one, the boys still hadn't caught a fish. And so there's a fish feeding on this little point, just cast in there. It was pretty much getting to that point where you could barely see anything. Yeah. He's, he's casting in there and you could hear, hear this fish just... <laughs> just eating things off the surface and he just kept, couldn't get a fish. He got a few bites from this fish and couldn't hook up. And then I, I sort of had a cast. I moved down the bank a little bit, had a cast because I thought, oh, I'll, I'll let him have that fish and, you know, if he can catch it. Yeah. And I've done a cast and I actually rolled on dark and I cast across and I got stuck in a snag and I ended up cracking my lure off. But I'm done, you know, whatever. And I went in and standing there and then could hear this fish in front of me as well, boofing stuff off the top. I was like, oh can't help myself so i managed to tie this leader in the dark with no light basically because i didn't have a head torch yeah and then i've tied on my last little 48 mil scum dog i had chucked it out didn't even hit a bite it just basically came up ate it off the surface and i just went to wind it to move me lure and just went whack and started smoking me into the snags and you end up landing a 48 and a half fork fish in the dark oh on the, so on the, close on the last haymaker cast but, yeah um, yeah so an old mate missed out so 
yeah, he was he was not impressed. I stole his fish, but but it's um yeah, there's there's countless honestly stories. Yeah. One of the ones last year was great. I took my my young fellas. I've got a I've got a little fellow who's about to turn four, so he would have only probably yeah not quite been three. And my eldest is yeah, he'll turn six in January, so he would have quite not been quite five. And I took him over last year. Actually, just did a run to the tip and. I went and fished this little creek on the way home, just where, somewhere where I can walk with the kids quite easy. I just took them down there and I was just casting the plastic and giving them the rod, yeah. letting them wind. And yeah, my youngest, you know, so he wouldn't have even, yeah, wouldn't have even been three and he, he caught his first bass, like That's sick. basically where hooked it, wound it in and, and landed this bass. It wasn't huge. It might've been 30 or 32 centimeters or something like that, but just to see yeah, that enjoyment and two kids go on Burko that they've caught this little thing in this creek on this lure that, you know, they, I suppose at that point they don't really get the, the concept of we're throwing this thing in there and we're going to catch something out of that creek. And yeah. And they've got this great little bass. So was, that's probably a pretty special fish for me just to see that enjoyment that those kids get from something so simple. Yeah, it's good, um, isn't it? Yeah, not the biggest fish in the world, but but a very memorable one. Yeah, good moment, that's for sure. That's Yeah, that's yeah. what fishing or life's all about, eh? Those yeah, moments. 100%. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, kids, kids, and bass fishing is such an easy thing to do. I mean, as I said, I started out with my old man going up, and you can actually—I don't know if they still do it, but I assume they do. You can hire canoes up the Shoalhaven, and you know, we'd go out there for an afternoon in summer, and you know, jump in there and paddle along, and and yeah, catch a catch a bass or two on some surface lures and that, and out for a few hours. It's a lot better than sitting there watching TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well and truly, that's good, eh? That's so good. That's been a good chat, mate. I reckon I had like heaps more questions I could have asked you, and so many more things you could talk about with bass. But that um that whole thing about those ant hatch thing that's really cool. That's it's probably something a lot of people don't even know about too. So that's real interesting. So no, it's been good having you on. Hope you've um hope you had a good bit of fun, bit of time out of your day. Back to work. Yeah, now. definitely, mate. No, nah, it's been good. Yeah, I'm diving into some more work and stuff. But we'll um we'll have to get you down here to have a session on the bass as soon as that starts to warm up a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. That'd be good. That'd be good. Actually, I'll keep in contact and we'll tee that up. I reckon that'd be good fun. But uh, yeah, no, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on, Simon. Thanks for sharing. I know you do a heap of salt stuff, but I knew um I know you love your bass fishing and um you'd have some good stuff to share and yeah, you produced. So it was good, mate. I really appreciate it. No dramas, it's great to be on. Thanks for the invite. Cheers, on. And there you have it, everyone. Another cracker episode of the podcast. I really enjoyed sitting down with Simon and I love how just how passionate he is about fishing. You can just tell the way he speaks and you know when you meet someone who is passionate but they're also passionate about helping others and and he really shared a lot of good stuff in that and I really enjoyed it and I hope you enjoyed it as well. Like I said at the end there, the thing he talked about with the ant hatch, anyone, you appreciate that even if you chase meter plus cod. We're talking about small bass and we're talking about, well, not small, but we're talking about bass and these small insects and how they behave and it just... It just opens up your mind to thinking about fishing differently uh, and, and it's about adjusting your techniques and it's a lot easier to do those kind of things when you can see what's going on but it makes you think what happens under the water as well. So it really opens your mind to what are the possibilities with fishing and the best thing about fishing is we will never ever perfect it. There will always be something new to learn, 
I learn every single day. Every time I sit down and talk to someone on a podcast, I learn something. Talk to people inside the membership, I learn something. I'm always learning and I'm sure you're always learning as well. So, that was another great episode and I hope to get other angles on in the future and especially over summer to talk more about bass fishing, more in the small streams and also some from the impoundments. Now, like I mentioned earlier, I just want to touch on the social fishing membership. If you want to support this podcast and support what we do, go check it out. You can learn more at socialfishing.com.au. This membership site is going to be the biggest platform for freshwater fishing. If you love fishing the freshwater, if you want to learn, if you want to be a part of a group, a community of like-minded anglers and you want to better your fishing, check it out. We've got incredible amounts of content, articles, video content, plenty of action stuff in there in terms of hooking up to fish and plenty of entertainment videos as well as the SF Maps regular reports and also the community. Now, we're always expanding the reports. At Currently, we have nine reports available and we're going to expand that even further and we also have seven maps available and you can learn more about the membership. You can jump on board and become an SF member at socialfishing.com.au. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, guys, as always, leave a review, leave a comment on the podcast app that you listen to this on and leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think. We love to hear your comments. We read them all and also, you can submit listener questions to this podcast. If this is your first time here, we do a listener questions episode every six or so episodes and there's one coming up very soon with Talos. We'll sit down and answer your listener questions. They're really exciting episodes and we get into a lot of different details and the questions, we just really go off and talk about them in depth and there's a lot of stuff that comes out of them, things that we don't even plan to talk about that just pop up that are really, really useful and beneficial for everyone listening. So, they are the listener questions episodes and you can submit listener questions for us. If you head to socialfishing.com.au, sign up to a free account. So, basically, you create a free account, you get access to the Freshwater Mini-Series and you can submit listener questions that we will answer in an episode of the podcast. I want to thank you once again for downloading and listening to another one of our episodes. Episode 45 won't be two weeks away this time. It will be next week. As I said at the start of this episode, I want to apologize for not having one out two weeks ago. So, to make up for that, we're going to have another episode out next week. So, this one's going up and stay tuned for early next week to see another episode of the podcast and we're going to continue to roll them out through the rest of spring and summer for you guys to enjoy learn from and help your fishing out on the water. That's enough from me, guys. My name is Reese Creed and you've been listening to the Social Fishing Podcast. Once again, I want to thank Simon Pender. That was a cracking episode. And guys, enjoy this warm weather. Get out there, catch some fish, and I'll be talking to you very soon. <laughs>